Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we sit down with Matthew Varga to talk about his real estate investing journey, and we discuss his strategy of using Airbnb on properties that I don't think he had originally planned to use Airbnb on, and how he's using Airbnb arbitrage. So wait till you hear this if you're not familiar with Airbnb arbitrage, it's super interesting, and it's one of the reasons I think real estate is so fascinating to me is because you can adapt real estate in income properties or rental properties or your investing approach to the market environment using different strategies. It's also why we specifically really enjoy single family homes or semis or townhomes because they open themselves up to opportunities that perhaps you can't get as easily with condos. It doesn't mean that condos is a bad investment by any means, but it does present opportunities when you own property that you can use multiple strategies on. And that's what you're going to hear Matthew do right now. And if you're listening to this and you want to go down into the rabbit hole of real estate investing and begin to understand the different strategies that you can use. So for example, Nick and I have owned a property that was a rent to own. The tenant got a new relationship, decided they did not want to buy the property from us. So they had moved on. We turned that particular property into a student rental for several years. And then now we run that property as a straight rental with a beautiful family in that particular property. So it's one single family home in the Hamilton area that we've used three different strategies on. And it's, again, it's why real estate investing is interesting because it's adaptable and each strategy typically presents different cash flow or different income generation amounts that you can earn from the property. And if you want to learn more about that, that one of the best resources from us is our real estate investing blueprint book. We give away free digital copies of that book on our website. So if you want to grab that book so you can learn about different strategies that might work in different economic times, you can pick that up at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Matthew Varga and uh, yeah, Matt, we're just saying like, we're not a Mickey Mouse operation here. Okay. There's three cameras. We got all like, this is the real deal. It's legit. It's legit. It's legit. It's intimidating. It's, oh yeah, <laughs> three cameras. Set up. I was like, oh, intimidating. Wow, like, we were just talking about how many YouTube subscribers yeah. you guys have. I think it was like nine hundred twenty-eight thousand YouTube subscribers or something. It's, it's around there. We should hit a million, I think, by the end of this year. So That's insane. It is, but like we were talking about earlier, I think after after you've been in it for a while, you just sort of become numb to it. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have had the same. It's always oh. nice when you hit a milestone and you're like. Like you guys had a, a clip hit 1.5 million views. Like that, it's nice, nice little ego, nice little ego boost. But you're also just like, okay, well, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean like, oh, once we hit a million, all of a sudden like cash is just gonna roll, <laughs> roll into our pockets, right? The skies oh, open and dollars yeah, yeah. start flying out of the sky. Exactly. Well, that some, sometimes we think we're on a bit of a content treadmill. I mean, you guys, I'd imagine, are feel that pretty regularly because it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, your, your videos are doing great, but it's like, well, you know, they only last so long until you got to put on another one. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like a never ending. It's a never ending thing. Like when, once you put that content out, 
you're just now you're just having to think like, well, what's next? Yeah. What's next? Because pe- people forget quickly. People will watch your video today and then like tomorrow they'll be like, I don't, I don't know what uh, Tom and Nick said. For those who don't know, um, can you explain the YouTube channel? Who's doing what? What's it about? Yeah, just share with everybody. Sure. Yeah. So our main YouTube channel is Health Nut Nutrition. So we started out. It was probably I feel like it's like ten years ago now. Kind of like OG back before anyone was really doing it for for money or profit or being cool so we were just doing that and um the channel started around food because my my wife she loves food loves cooking so she started doing just recipes and food stuff on youtube and then it just sort of evolved and kept growing and then as we we our audience built up and built up you know eventually we got reached out by publishers to do like a published cookbook and we we did that which was a pretty cool experience uh you don't really make money off published cookbooks i mean like that's something that no one really tells you unless you like you hit like the big <laughs> like a big hit right where it's like oh it just sells a bunch of stuff but in general it's like the the money that you get in advance to make it is like what you spend to make it and then like it takes a long time to pay that advance off. so it's not really a money maker but it just it was a, a goal that we had had so it worked out really cool and then um yeah and then as once we had our daughter which was two in a bit two and a half years ago now we've sort of the content change to more family oriented stuff so my wife who runs like the youtube channel she's the main face of it she really went down like the rabbit hole of of parenting and taking care of babies and all that fun stuff one of you went down the rabbit hole of parenting it sounds like you didn't so (laughs) (laughs) like yeah yeah exactly i don't really i i feel like once one of you kind of takes that on the other one's just like okay well like i'll just learn from what (laughs) you learned you know like i'll just be here uh but yeah so now it's a lot of like parenting and still like you know like how to live healthy life and and all that fun stuff and then like i have my own youtube channel as well which is more around like the finance and the real estate investing and specifically now mostly around like Airbnb because we've gone down that rabbit hole and I just found people really thirsty for that kind of knowledge on Airbnb and how to do that. So now I've been, you know, getting a bit more involved in my social media and building that up. How did you get pulled into the whole real estate world? If you already were in the nutrition world and producing content around that, why, why get into real estate? What was it? Um, for me, it was just, I think like a lot of people who first get into real estate, you realize like I was working at a, at a bank full time, I was sort of like a teller and then into like financial planning. I kind of worked my way up to the bank and you just sort of realize you were selling visa cards selling. Yeah, really. You're kind of like, <laughs> hey, it's not a, you want another, I just yeah. remember when I was at CIBC and they're like, Hey, push these visa cards. I'm like, Hey sir, would you like the visa card with your withdrawal today? Yeah. I don't think they pushed them as much anymore. I think like they got a lot of backlash cause there were some lawsuits yeah, yeah. years ago cause they were just like pushing and yeah, it, de- it definitely like the, the culture there because it was so sales driven, it kind of fostered people to do like unethical things, like open up accounts people didn't know about. And th- I wasn't that person. Sure. You know, I just, yeah, yeah, I just did good on my own merits, but other people <laughs> had to go down they that They could have or would have done such things. Yes. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, so I, I kind of like, once you, like when I was growing up, I thought like, oh, I'll get into like financial planning and get into that. And like, I'll learn how money works. And like, that's the way to become wealthy. But then you kind of realize that like, oh, the system that we, that we live in, uh, isn't really designed to make people wealthy. So I just sort of realized that for some of the reasons like we just talked about, like you kind of realize like, oh, the banks aren't really there to like help people retire and become rich, which is what you think when you're growing up and you're younger and you see the commercials, but then you realize like, no, they're really just there to make money. Like that's all they care about. So once I kind of realized that and like, you know, being forced to kind of sell things that don't really make sense to people and you're forced to push products that maybe aren't the best because you get 
better sales revenue for doing it. And you kind of sort of see like the evil side behind the scenes. I just kind of realized like, well, this isn't what I want to do forever. So I started looking at different ways to make money. I had some clients of mine who were just like really happy and doing really well in life. And it always just seemed to come back to like, oh, they're always real estate investors or some way with real estate. Or, that they yeah, always just seem really they happy. They always seem to have some property. Anyone I, that's similar to us, anyone I saw that had some financial means had some real estate. Even if it wasn't their primary business, mm-hmm. they had some real estate somewhere in their lives. So there was just this correlation that like, maybe we should add real estate into our lives. And you're hitting on a point that I always think about is that we talked about it recently in the office a lot that most people don't realize like when every dollar you earn there's a chunk of that dollar that goes to taxes mm-hmm. so every dollar you earn most a chunk, people realize that yeah most yeah. people realize that <laughs> then the second thing is every, what's with what's left of that dollar when you buy something you're paying taxes mm-hmm. So now you to earn it, you lost purchasing power to taxes. When you go to spend it, you're paying taxes. And then with what's left, that middle chunk, let's say, if the top was taxes, the bottom was consumption taxes, the middle is being devalued by inflation. So even if you try to keep your purchasing power, the government is printing dollars to fund their deficit spending and their, pro- their political promises. So you can't even, the piece that you're left with that isn't taxed is secretly and maliciously taxed. Mm-hmm. So you can just never get ahead. Yeah, you can never get ahead. And you're just like running on this treadmill and you don't know why you can't get ahead. And I think it's why, Matt, for the, some of the same reasons that you got into real estate, we just looked at real estate as not like the be all and end all of all investing. It was more just, oh, here is a mechanism to use the system to outpace the devaluation of the currency. Like real estate was like a four to one short on the fiat dollar where you could borrow 20%, get 80% from the bank, buy this property. If it produced some cash to pay the, the debt off, you own this bigger thing with leverage. And if the dollars in the future are cheaper than the dollars today, your debt would always look smaller and you kind of got ahead. That was more complex than I looked at it though. I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I wasn't that sophisticated. No, but at, but at 21, yeah. at 21, I wasn't thinking like that. I mean, I just started because I was, and I don't know, maybe, you know, you were, you were five, you're five years old or some of you were kind of further down kind of the rabbit hole of kind of reading different books and things like that. But for me, I was just like, I felt like I couldn't get ahead on the salary that I was at. And I was like, well, how am I going to do this? So I needed another way to make some money. And then I just, I looked at real estate and I wasn't thinking about the devaluation of the dollar and that type of stuff, but I just looked at real estate. I'm like, oh, this is a way that I can make money without having to just trade my time for the dollars. And it was just kind of as, as, as simple as that. And it ran some numbers and they made like, they made really good sense at the time. For me, I was like, this, this makes a lot of sense. So I just kind of went down that rabbit hole. Then after years, you know, after some time passed, then I started realizing this stuff with the banks and, and the inflation, you know, I added, I kind of piled that on. But early on, like when I'm 20 years old, I'm just like, how the heck do I make a little bit extra cash? Yeah, exactly. So that, we're, that's we're sort of how I thought. Yeah, too. we're, we're like, the basic. No, no, basic same one. here. I didn't have, that wasn't my first thought on how I got into real estate. <laughs> that, that was an evolved thought, I think. <laughs> No, but now you just, when you say it that way, if I had that knowledge back then, it would have probably expedited things or made me even more sort of well, clean I, and hunger. I but. think when you have that understanding of the system, you get out of the arguing about real estate prices because I think so many people get caught up in, is real estate going to go up further or not? It's going to crash. It's going to do this. And you're so focused on real estate in and of itself that you don't realize it's just a piece to a bigger puzzle. Mm-hmm. And the system by itself will likely drive the dollar price of real estate higher as more dollars are printed. 
the real estate is more scarce than the dollars. And as dollars are printed faster, it takes more and more of those dollars to buy the real estate. So real estate, it's not an argument if real estate prices are gonna go up or not. It's more, do you believe they're gonna print more dollars and expand the currency base? And if they are, it's likely gonna cost more of those dollars to buy your property. Your debt looks smaller as it, as it gets inflated away. But you're, yeah. I'm Even just, now, I'm, that's sophisticated for me, really. <laughs> oh, but it sounds so, good. I like that. I like so, that. That's, so you, you, that's YouTube, exactly what I tell people now. I tell it that way. Very, yeah, the, YouTube subscribers. YouTube subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so how did you? So you got into real estate, and then why Airbnb? Like, what was the evolution to get to Airbnb? Okay, so uh, yeah, I first started investing in real estate probably about eight years ago, give or take, and the shift to Airbnb was really probably the last two years. And really what it came down to is I just started to see that um, the traditional way of investing in real estate from what I was seeing with the numbers just w wasn't working anymore. Like I, I was finding it hard to be like, oh, I can go buy. Like when I first started investing, it's like, oh, you could buy a single family home. You could put a family in, rent it out, and then you would, uh, you know, make a little bit of money on it. It would pay itself off slowly. And you're like, okay, great. But now over these last few years with the prices going up, you know, rent's not really going up at the same pace. I just found like I couldn't make that work anymore. And even properties that I had that were, you know, we purchased a few years ago, like as some of the other costs were going up, like property tax and insurance. And, you know, if you had utilities in there, you just started to realize like you're just slowly losing money, bleeding money. So we started looking at different, different alternative things and we just were running numbers and we realized like, well, putting these properties into Airbnb just works still. And these properties, these were Toronto properties or outside Toronto? What kind of Airbnb are you talking about here? So the ones that we converted are long-term rentals into midterm. So we have uh, right now mostly in Barrie. So we had properties in Barrie. And we were just realizing like we had tenants who were turning over and we were like running the numbers. This was say last year for a specific one. And it was, um, when I was running the numbers, I was like, okay, if I was to rent this out to another long-term tenant, we're probably going to make 2800 maybe 3000 a month if we're like really getting onto the high end. But when we were doing our numbers on Airbnb, I was like, oh, we can probably generate at least 4000 a month by doing it as Airbnb. So with this property, um, you know, we did some renovations to the home. We put in like some feature walls, a couple of like cool things. We, uh, you know, we put in a media room downstairs, some game rooms, and we uh, put a nice outdoor fire pit and a few things. And um, this month, on Airbnb, we're bringing in um, 6,500 for this month already. Next month, we already have 3,000 booked with only like eight days booked, so a full open calendar. In August last year, so I think this year we'll do the same. We brought in 8,000. And what kind of property in Barrie is this? This is, is a, this bung a subdivision this is a, home. This is a bungalow. This is just a bungalow and, in Barrie in a subdivision. And what type of people are renting it? And for how long is the average stay? When you say midterm, like what is this length so, of stay oh, for you? Oh, so for the Barrie one, it's not really Okay, it's not just Yeah, short -term. like we, okay. we do midterm, we do short term. Um, but with, with this Barrie one, it's a lot of usually like shorter term, like the longest we might have might be like 10 days or... And, and who's renting them out on Airbnb? Like what kind of people? Usually it's people who are coming, strangely enough, uh, to Barrie for like vacation. Huh. You, you wouldn't, I mean, like, I don't so know. like I think a Toronto family? Sometimes like Toronto family, sometimes I'm Ottawa. Um, you know, huh. people are just going up there to spend the weekend. But because we've done certain renovations to our place, like when I first set this place up, I thought we'd be getting uh, like on the high end, like 300 bucks a night, which sounded good to me because I'm like, oh, I'm still going to make more than doing it as long term. And I don't have to deal with the landlord tenant board crap, which we're going through now on another property. But um, 
yeah, this year, like some of our nightly rates we've been able to pull in is like 800 bucks. Wow. And I, and I mean, like for someone who's in Barry, like, it's like I lived and grew up in Bradford. So I'm kind of been around there. I'm like, I don't understand why anyone would pay that much money to go to Barry, but like people are, and I'll, I'm happily take it, you know? Yeah. But big population base down here or in, you know, other places as well, you go up to that area of the city it's kind of like a hub into different parts of Ontario that, you know, cottage country and, and lakes and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and boating and that type of stuff. So you can, you can get to many places from there as well. I, what I would guess, because I don't look at it, but I, you know, I didn't grow up far from there, but yeah, I don't look at it as the first place I'd go to, mm-hmm. to, to rent a vacation property for a week. But no, I think like when I, if someone was telling me those numbers and they were like, I, it was a cottage in Muskoka or, or something, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. So sometimes the numbers even just confuse me where I'm like, how, I don't understand how, I'm able to generate this much from this property. I mean, we've done, like I said, certain things to make it a nicer property in Barrie, but in my mind, it's still just, it's Barrie. And how has the management been okay? Have, do you have somebody up there to do the turnovers between guests? Yeah, so we have a cleaner who goes in and does like all the, all the turnovers. A lot of the management when it comes to Airbnb can be pretty well automated. Like a lot of our messaging is just, once someone books, we have our scheduled messages that go out at like key times. So there's very little communication on Airbnb unless someone has like an issue. Like if someone has an issue and they're like, oh, I, I, I don't know this or I don't know that. But once you start seeing like certain things pop up all the time, you can you can create what's called like a quick quick reply. So if you have someone always be like, oh, where's like, oh, I can't get this to work. I can't get that to work. And it's always just like one small thing that's just unusual that maybe people don't realize. You can just create a quick reply. And then it just, if someone asks that question, you can just use that as so a it's reply. like a template or it's automated the reply will happen by itself you can get it automated if you're using certain like management like uh, property it. management okay. systems you can have it where like it will see the trigger word and it will send send it out or if you're just using the airbnb platform because you don't want to pay for like a management system then you can just have it like saved in there and then if someone asks that question you just go quick reply select that one and it'll just send your message and was it easy enough to find someone to clean it and do the turnovers yeah Hmm. Yeah, there's always people who are willing to do like cleaning. There's some apps that you can use. So depending on like the city you're in, there's an app called Turno. It used to be called Turnover B&B. But basically it's like a marketplace with cleaners. So uh, we set up a property in Florida recently. And I I find like when you're in like the States, there's always like a bigger market for those job sites. You know, (laughs) like if you need to find someone for anything, it's like TaskRabbit or all these different sites that you can use. So it's a lot easier there to find like cleaners on it. But even here, like we have a Airbnb arbitrage in Windsor and I just found like a really good cleaner just through that. Like you put your property up, kind of says like how many bedrooms, how big it is, how long is Windsor another short-term one for you? Windsor is a mixture of like short-term, mid-term. So for the properties that we have, we don't, we because we have them in cities where it's like, you don't need to do like they don't have like bylaws that say you can't do short term unless it's like your primary residence. Like I think Hamilton made that change recently. Um, some other like Toronto. So you kind of get uh, even St. Catharines. I know some people who have been like um, I've been doing some coaching with who are looking to turn their um, long terms into midterms. It's because they can't do short term there because of the way that rules and regulations work. But for most of the places that we invest in, you don't need to worry about that. So we just do whatever is going to make sense. Like we have good pricing during the slow season. We tend to focus more on like the midterm. So we really price our monthly prices very competitively. So like we were getting most of our bookings were like midterm, like one month, two months, three months over like that winter. And then during the short, uh, during the summer, we usually focus on 
the short yeah, term because we're getting okay. a lot better. Oh, that's so nice and mix and match. I, mm-hmm. I kind of never really thought about that, but yeah, it seems obvious once I hear you say it. And on the midterm stuff, were the rents surprising to you what you would get and how, how did they compare to a regular monthly longer term rent? Yeah, so I would say um, you're still doing better because you're basically giving someone like a furnished property mm-hmm. without utilities and with utilities included and internet included. So you're going to be able to get, you know, a better rate. So um, for the Windsor property, it's an arbitrage. So for people who don't know what a Airbnb arbitrage is, uh, it's where you basically rent. We rent this house from you know, like the owner and they know with their permission, we're turning around and putting it on Airbnb. So we got it all furnished and all set up. So we're paying 4000 a month in rent to the owner, it's three units. So like two one bedrooms and a three bedroom. And then um, our utilities are roughly $600 a month on that property. We set this up last October and we've averaged uh, since October till now, each month about 6,800. So our monthly costs are 48, let's just say, and we're getting 68 and that's what we've averaged over the last eight months. So we're making like two grand cash flow on that property now like i said we had the overhead of getting the property set up which was about i think we spent about twenty eight thousand on furniture and then first and last you know so we were kind of all in for around 34 but we also were able to get two months free rent on that property which we were able to bring in like eleven thousand dollars in awesome in revenue in those first two months and that's like straight into our pocket and you got two months free rent by by signing a longer lease. Um, by signing a longer lease, and then also like the tenant or the owner had a couple of things that he that he had to fix in the property, so got he was it. delayed in getting things. So it just sort of worked out that he was like, okay, I'll give you like the first two months free while I'm dealing with this. But we we're still able to generate, um, yeah, like I said, almost six grand a month in. I cash feel like that. we're interrogating you now, but I'm curious: was it difficult for the landlord to be convinced to allow you to do this? Some landlords are if they've never heard of the strategy i mean it can take some convincing if you're just reaching out to someone to be like hey i want to rent your place and put on airbnb like this is giving me flashbacks nick to the sandwich lease option remember when we learned yeah, that uh-huh. strategy like you you rent a house you do a rent to own on the house but then you offer it out on a rent own to someone mm-hmm. else and you kind of make the difference and it was always that was just way too complicated there was too many problems that could happen the airbnb there was ownership cleaner. questions around yeah, especially like, in the states like i got outlawed in some of the states because you were trying to sell an option on a house to for someone to buy it that you didn't no. Yeah, you had an option to buy it. It was like this double option thing. Oh, I've heard of some of those. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, just, yeah. it was pretty wild. This is a bit more straightforward. You rent from somebody. Well, a lot of people are doing, a lot of people do it without the landlord's permission. So like, especially mm-hmm. downtown in the, in the condo buildings, I know a number of people that have done it with without the landlord's permission. You're doing it on the up and up with the landlord, right. which is a much better way to do it. And then it's a, it's it's also more sustainable versus always having to look in your sho- over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do know a few people that have done it downtown in some of the popular buildings at, at uh, you know this was a little while ago um, and it was working really well for them one guy was doing it and he liked the parking spot too the location of the parking spot because he always went in and used the parking spot because it was right by the uh, whatever it's called now Scotiabank Arena oh, wow. it was right there so he's like yeah I just used my parking spot that I get with the Airbnb place that, he, that he's started in and out yeah. yeah so that's what you you don't want to do because a lot of times when people uh, like so if I put up Airbnb arbitrage stuff on my social media like I always people they're like that's illegal you can't do that like blah 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 and I'm like no like as long as the city allows it and like it's allowed legally, yeah. like through the rules and regulations, and you let the like the owner know, then there's nothing illegal about it. There's nothing wrong with doing it because 
it's a win-win, right? Like this, the the owner of the that Windsor place we just talked about, like he didn't want to do Airbnb. He wanted like he wanted long-term tenants in there. It's a three-unit building, so he's just like, okay, well, instead of me renting to three different people who might clash, might have issues, might whatever, he's like, maybe they don't pay rent. You know, you never know if you get a professional tenant. We've all, I'm sure you guys have dealt with a lot of tenant issues over the years, you know, as have I. And you're like, oh, eventually you just start to get sick of that and having to deal with that. So I think for for him and for a lot of people who are going into that method, it's sort of a no brainer where it's like, okay, so I don't have to worry about a professional tenant. It's a professional company. My house is cleaned professionally multiple times in a month. If there's any damage or any wear and tear issues, like it's in my best interest to fix it, to repair it. Because, you know, like with Airbnb, you, you live and die by your reviews. So I like, we're almost creating like a symbiotic partnership because it's like, I need to keep your property as nice as I can. So that way when guests come in, they, they go into it and they're like, oh, this is a great. And is that how you good. sold the idea or was the landlord already aware of that? They were like, they had already heard of the method. Um, so, and they had found me through social. So they had reached out about it and see what I was doing. Like, oh, I'm interested in that. And then we had a conversation about how it looks and it just, for them, it, it made a lot more sense. The downside right. is that there's a lot of, so you operate, you guys operate your properties in like a, a very business-like way, mm-hmm. right? You, I think you've been fairly process-oriented in a lot of stuff you guys do. You've had some experience in real estate. There's a lot of people, that a lot of investors too, that are going to come. They're like, this sounds like a great idea. I'm going to get in. This is how I can get in with less less funds. They're not going to put the work into the property. It's not even. It's not going to look that good. They're going. It's going to be cheap. You know, it's going to be on the lower end of the price point. They might get different kind of tenants that do that treat the place differently or they're not able to manage the, 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 the property the same way. And now the landlord's left holding the bag the same way. Cause there are, there is a lot of that too. So I think it comes back to a lot to, I think you might be discounting yourself and the type of the quality of investor you are and that you bring to the table. And that's what makes it work. Win-win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like there's, I mean, there's a lot of landlords that are just are not great landlords and yeah. it, it, they, they treat tenants very poorly. And then the, you know, the, and they give everyone else a bad name. So it kind of works. I think it works both ways. But the way you guys manage it, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to do it. And kudos to you guys. It's not like you don't have busy lives. I mean, is Nicole pregnant right now? She is. She yeah. Is. Pregnant with our second, yeah. With your so. second. So yeah, this is your second. You have health and nutrition running. You're doing this real estate stuff. Then you're trying strategies that are I wouldn't call completely common, at least not yet, with Airbnb and Airbnb type arbitrage type stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you are a little wild. And I mean that as a compliment. Like you're out there making things happen. Sometimes it's to like a negative. Sometimes yeah. like, you know, it's like <laughs> just because like, you know, like, <clears throat> sorry, traditional wisdom from people is like, oh, like find what you're good at and just focus on it and like hammer it home. And then, which, which does make sense. But then I find sometimes just with my personality and the way I, I think sometimes like, oh, like kind of like do something for a while, get good at it. And then you're like, I like to jump in and try something different. And, you know, I like to like mix things up. Like we recently this year, I got um, Raptors seasons tickets. Oh, wow. And, and it was because like, Hey, I want to be able to go to some games. Like growing up, we grew up pretty modestly. So like going to a, a, any sports game was just like unheard of. You just watch it on TV, like regular Joe people. Right. So it was always something in my goal to do. And then I also thought like, well, like this can be a moneymaker as well. Like I can go to games. I'm not like a, like a crazy sports fan where like, I want to go to every game. So I'm like, Oh, but I'd like to like take friends to games, you know, give some tickets to my family, but I sold it, you know, like, and you're allowed to sell your tickets. Right. But I sold probably 80% of the games, you know, cause I, I don't have time to go to all of them. And like all said and done after selling tickets and I, and I was selling them for like less than ticket master value. Like most of them I sold to like family and friends for cost. But even then I was still able to generate, uh, just about $5,000 profit 
so it's like I owned seasons tickets. I went to games. I had a good time. I gave some to family and friends. And then I was still able to generate $400 a month cash flow by just like selling tickets to people and still at fair prices. So it's just like it's, I think like we live in a cool time now where it's like you can really make money in so many different ways if you just sort of like are willing to like test things out and try different things. So that's the difference is when you're, if you're willing to do it and take the time to do it, because it takes time because you, you have to, be posting the tickets and things like that, whereas you're willing to do it. And there's a lot of people, because Anthony was asking me this yesterday when we were doing that podcast, and it's just a lot of people will, and I was talking to someone this morning that was saying the same thing, they just will make excuses about stuff. They'll be like, well, you know, it's so hard for me right now. Like, you know, I have a young kid at home and my wife's yeah. pregnant. And they're like, it's just, it's so, like, I just, I can't get the time. And I'm like, well, I don't know, that's fine. And maybe you can't, and everyone's circumstances are different, but there's a lot of people that have young kids at home that have managed to do a whole heck of a lot of stuff, if you're using that as an excuse, and you're just willing to kind of look past that and just structure your life in such a way that you're able to kind of do these extra things too, right? And I think, mm. I don't know, that's an important thing to realize. So why don't you suffer from that? What is it about you? Why are you wired the way you are, Matt? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think like, I, I think like a lot of people, it's like if you grew up, pretty much like I had a single mom worked three jobs like so you know we we'd raised ourselves a lot as like kids so I feel like when you kind of grow up through that like you see a you see like my mom's work ethic which rubbed off on me and made me want to work harder but I think like you know like we had gotten uh, like a, a house that we had owned got foreclosed on we got like kicked out of it at one oh, point geez. you know um, this is back in like the 90s when interest rates were like mm. you know double digits I remember like our water getting shut off at one point and we'd take baths with like kettle water you know boil yeah. kettle and dump it in so it's like those things still kind of like stuck with me up until like uh, until now. I still think of it vividly, and it just makes you realize like, oh, that's not what I want. So you have this do. fear that makes you run. You know, yeah, like yeah. I'm gonna get busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, I have to get busy. Sometimes it's like detrimental because it may, it gives you a bit of a a limiting mindset too, where you're like, you're so sometimes like I find like I'm too protective of of money and mm. like things that we've done. Once you have a little bit, then you're scared to lose it. You know, it's amazing how that that mm -hmm. works. You don't really think mm -hmm. think about it, but then once you start to do well, it's like I. I do find I was a much bigger risk taker when I had nothing. Oh, right? sure. When you have nothing, you're like, okay, like we'll buy this property. Sure, it doesn't work right now, but we'll figure it out. We'll make this work. But now, once you start to have things, you're like, well, if I mess up this and all this could kind of go yeah, down. You have more to lose. You had yeah. nothing to lose. I was just yeah. talking about this at lunch with someone that when you have nothing to lose, everything's a possibility. Like when, mm. remember when we started with student rentals, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We didn't have a clue, but nothing seemed that scary. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk to people maybe who are in their fifties, let's say, and you talk to them about student rentals, like, oh, well, what kind of insurance would I get to make sure the students, you know, if they have a party, I'm in the clear, who's going to manage it? How are the property managers like? What school? What are the data? You, you kind of have, what's going to happen with interest rates? Whereas when we were in our 20s, we didn't have any of these thoughts. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I think this, like, it's that much rent and that much money comes in. Oh, let's buy this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, something else Anthony asked me, he's like, hey, so do you think when you started, you were over leveraged? I was like, hell yeah, I'm yeah. Over completely over leveraged. Yeah. So over leveraged. <laughs> By like multiples. But I, he's like, well, how did that work? I'm like, I had no, you know, to your point, I had, had nothing, nothing to lose. Yeah. I'm a like, big deal. What are you going to take? You're going to take, I, like, I think at that point in my life. Here's I'm my seeing, Honda Civic. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, which is leased, which was leased <laughs> anyway. Right. So I'm like, yeah. here, you can, ha yeah. you can yeah. have it. Like, at just, that point, I didn't even have a car when I was first getting <laughs> yeah. into stuff. I was so, like, oh. I got some credit card debt you can have, my yeah. Honda Civic. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I have a little bit of clothes. You want my clothing? <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I think it's just like realizing like, well, what's the alternative, right? Sometimes you have to think of that too. It's like, oh, if you're not taking any action or, or doing anything or taking the risk, I'm just like, well, what's the alternative? The alternative is like, I don't know, like not doing anything, just mm -hmm. sort of like living your existence 
without any purpose or without any like you need to grow you need to take risks to like grow and do things you guys must be having some interesting thoughts as a family and as a household now because i want to talk to you about florida in a second because i think you're Mm. doing something in florida as well but with the way your business is with health nut nutrition and real estate you're not tied really it feels like to me to a geographic area you yeah we're not so so it's kind of must have some interesting conversations on where you guys want to live and how you want to live no yeah, we have been like, so I, I'd see, I've, I've found um, for me, like the Canadian real estate market, just the numbers aren't working as much for me and like sort of now what my goals are. You're, so, a, Je- you're a Jedi master. Now you're a what? Jedi master. Not even you're that. Like, yeah. It's just like, I just found like, oh, it's just uh, the amount of money you have to put down for the amount of cash flow that I'm going to make just at this point now. Like, yeah, sure. If I was first starting, it's like, it, make, it makes sense. Like you got nothing, like you said, you got nothing to lose. But now for me, it's like, I'm not really going to get the return that I would like to see on my capital. So now I've been looking more at the U.S. and that's why we we started doing things um, in Florida, and we're now working on getting our our visa, our U.S. like working visa. So I mean we're we're lucky because because we have um, like the online presence and we have an online store, so we do uh, trade with the U.S. So we're able to qualify for most people when they're trying to get a U.S. visa as a Canadian, they usually go like the E2 mm-hmm. route, right? And you guys yep. might've heard people talk about that. And it's when you're investing in a business down there. So normally it's like you have a large capital outlay. Like typically they, they don't have a definitive number, but they usually say you have to invest like a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, give or take. This is the you know, sure. general yeah, business advice. plan, hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. So we're lucky because we have an online store that does trade with the U.S. We have, you know, people in the U.S. who buy products off our store. We're now able to qualify for like an E1 visa, which is sort of like basically like a trade visa. Okay. So because we do trade between Canada and the U.S., we can actually look to qual- and then we have no capital outlay. Oh wow! I don't think I've heard of an E1 visa. Yeah, so it's under I the same. Asked. I didn't ask. There was an E2 visa. I guess the logical question would be, <laughs> what is the E1 visa? Yeah, so it is like a, if you have that ability, it's just it, it means we don't have to invest a hundred thousand or you know fifty thousand yeah. or whatever to Great. purchase a business that maybe you don't necessarily want to run because like some people want to get a U.S. visa. They're like, well, I don't really want to buy a a chain of something. So in the you're event. in this process right now? Yeah, we're in the process right now. You have to go to the consulate for a meeting and do We will stuff. eventually. So right now it's just like collecting yeah. all the information, you know, to our, um, to a lawyer is helping us like put the package together so they can send it. And then it's just going to be, yeah, we'll have to do our so interview. That's why you're in Florida. Well, we were in Florida because like at the time everything here was locked up, you know, during those, those There's times. also something called sunshine. Yeah, there's sunshine. Yeah. So like, I feel like a lot of Canadians, like most of us have like a sort of a dream of being like, once you get sick of winter, you're yeah. kind of like, okay, like I'd like to spend the Yeah. Winters. I didn't know the dream was something so simple as I would like to see this comet in the sky or this star <laughs> in the sky sometimes, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like factors, but then also just like the numbers down there, Make sense. Yeah, like, cool. So, what are you doing? To, yeah, can you give us an example of something? Because you're doing an Airbnb down there. Yeah. So right now, uh, we just set up last month um, at the beginning of June. We set up, and it's an Airbnb arbitrage as well. Okay. So this one, um, we rent. So this is in Fort Lauderdale, kind of the Fort Lauderdale yeah, awesome. area. Yeah. Um, similar thing. We approached uh, an owner who had it up for long term rent. Right now in the U.S., there's a lot of properties just sitting. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so there's, I think people had like high expectations for rent, you know, mm-hmm. so like you can go on Zillow or, or whatever you look at for properties and you can see properties are like, they've been sitting there for like four or five months. Yeah. It's weird for Canadians or if you're from Ontario to see that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not used to that here. Yeah. It's very different down there. So it's like, oh, you see these properties sitting there, prime people to reach out to, to be like, Hey, like we want to rent your property. We're going to put on Airbnb. You know, we told them like the value to him, it, 
he understood. He was like, okay, let's go. We were able to get him down. I think he had it listed at like 6,000 a month in rent. We got it down to like 5,000. So like our all-in cost on that property um, each month is about 5,600 with like utilities, pool. Um, so this property, like I said, it's in Fort Lauderdale, three bedroom, two bath. How far pool, away from the water? Like five minute drive to the, okay. to the ocean. Yep. Um, pool in the back. Uh, we converted like the garage to like a games room. So we have like a pool table, you know, uh, pinball so you're machine. investing in it. The landlord loves this. Yeah, exactly. We put like a feature wall up, which is like artificial kind of greenery with you like, you like your feature wall. Yeah, you've mentioned featured wall a couple times now. Oh. This is a big deal for you. It, it does look nice in pictures. Yeah. I've seen the one that it, it looks nice yeah. in pictures. Yeah, people like you need to stand like to your point yeah. about saying like, oh, Airbnbs. There's a lot of people who just put up, or maybe it was your your point about like just kind of doing the half-ass bare minimum. Um, yeah, you're you know, standing out. You're standing out. Just putting in that 10% extra, and it makes a big difference. Anyway, so we're all into this property uh, each month for 5600 Our outlay to, like, furnish it and get it all set up and do everything was about 34000 And um, right now, we, we, we just had it up. We've had it up for three weeks. We've already got twenty grand of bookings in oh, wow. three weeks. And that's, like, slow season. This is kind of the slow season. In Fort Lauderdale. In Fort Lauderdale, because it's sort of wet hurricane season during the the summer months. But I, I feel like this property is probably all in our annual cost on it is going to be about, say, 70000 And, like, conservative estimate will probably make about one hundred and ten. Awesome. Conservative, I'd say. And good for, for like, you guys. You know, um, so, like I said, in some of these key areas, numbers really yeah. make sense. And it ended up working out that when we were looking at it, for us to buy this home it'd probably be like 850 grand you ask give or take so like our monthly carrying cost by renting it is lower than if we were to have purchased it mm-hmm. and we don't have to put you know two hundred thousand dollars down for a down payment and you know like closing costs and all that so major like, repairs are still ultimately the landlord's yeah deal. so you've you've created a cash flow play on real estate you don't get the equity build up it, you don't get the it's equity. pure cash flow mm-hmm. but you need to buy burgers with cash flow so it's important so yeah that's really cool it is like it's like i like a, a combination when people ask me or talk to me about like airbnb it's like i like a combination of like oh the arbitrage is a pure cash flow yeah. strategy but then like using that cash flow to like purchase properties that you're going to airbnb as well so that way you're getting the best of both worlds, like your cash flow, and then you're getting something that's going to have, you know, like capital appreciation, mm-hmm. mortgage pay down. So that, that's the downside with Airbnb arbitrage, like you said, is that you're not really getting those yeah. other little things. But pros and cons for different stages of life, you know, it all kind of works. And I think that's the beautiful thing on real estate. There's so much nuance here. Mm-hmm. You can create cash flow if you want cash flow. You can get a property and just hold on to it for appreciation if you think that area is going to, you know, if you're buying something, we keep talking about one property in Oakville that we might build on. Mm-hmm. Well, the cash flow is really not that important on it because we can, at a stage in our lives where it doesn't really affect us, the cash flow, mm-hmm. but the equity has been building really nicely in there and we might build on it. So there's opportunities to do other things with the property. So it kind of changes, you know, throughout life. That's what I love about real estate. Is that you do have like so many, like you said, so many ways to like do things, make, make money, like things evolve and adapt. Like five years ago, you weren't really, no one was really doing Airbnb. Mm-hmm. People, people were, but it was like, at that point it was more like people were using Airbnb to like share a room in their house. Like the first time I used Airbnb was like in New York and Manhattan and like me and Nicole went there for a weekend. It was like, we were renting a room in someone's house and they were in the, the other room. And that was more what Airbnb was. 
you know, but now it's evolved where it's like and it's, full of houses and it's funny how things evolve. And you know, we've been in this and our family's been in this since the seventies. Like our mom was renting out homes in Toronto rooms, rooms, rooms. sorry, rooms in Toronto in a boarding house, which we lived in as a family. Um, Nick wasn't actually even born yet. That's how long this one was, how ago this one was. And she was renting out rooms for like $12 a week. And she would go in and change the sheets and do all Love this it. kind of stuff. She was renting out these different rooms. And then um, in the 80s, our father was flipping properties. Then there was the 90s with the big real estate collapse. And I think every decade, there's a moment where everyone says real estate's dead. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen it now, like in so many decades, there's like a moment where someone's like, well, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And the market kind of just adapts. Like real estate's very malleable in that way in a weird sort of way, even though it's a hard asset, it's function and form seems to change. And as the economy morphs, so do the possibilities with real estate. Mm-hmm. Like this whole thing now with technology and Airbnb, really it was a lot harder to do what you're talking about 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Now with Airbnb and technology, you're talking about apps where you can find cleaners, you get the bookings online, like that wasn't really done. So it is kind of a fascinating thing with real estate. It does offer all these options. Not that there's not headaches with it. There's absolutely headaches, as you know. <laughs> that, that um, so I just went to the Bank of Canada inflation calculator. That $12 a week in 1975 is the equivalent of 66 bucks now. Yeah. So wow. this calculator isn't right. That inflation calculator is not it's right. Way, nobody's nobody's renting a room. Yeah. So we just had, you should know this, Matt, just in our team meeting here at Rockstar. Um, now, this is not normal for anyone listening to this. We just had a Western student rental. Someone's getting 1300 a room mm-hmm. on a Western student, a room. Wow. We used to, when we first started this business for $1,300, you could rent a whole house in Hamilton mm-hmm. or you could rent a whole house. And this is an, another thing that we always talk about that as people say, well, prices are changing. No one's going to be able to afford real estate anymore. And it's unfortunately that no prices will still likely run because of some of the economic factors that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. You'll just get less for your dollar. $1,300 used to get you a whole house in Hamilton. Now it gets you a room in a student rental in London, Ontario. That's that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And that whole house was like... And that is on, that's on the high. Like, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not everybody's but getting... But even then, I would have thought it'd be like 600. No, the majority are probably... Like, I don't know anymore. 750, 800. 800, probably, 900 yeah. is becoming more and yeah. more common. Wow. Yeah. I was just talking to a neighbor who um, yeah, has a, you know, a son out in Queens, and they're paying... They didn't budget for this amount. They're paying 950. Hmm. So 950 a room because they weren't expecting that. They were expecting, you know, budgeting like 650. Now it's 950, especially out in uh, Queens, Kingston's. Yeah, that's really tight. Really tight. So it's just wild Mm -hmm. to see these kind of changes. Um, That's like, that's pretty good. I'm like thinking about like, I should probably look at student rentals again. I just feel like I deal with too much crap. I was saying that to someone today. I'm like, oh, student rentals, you can still make good cash flow, obviously. But I'm like dealing with five or six, like 18, 19, 20 year olds. There's usually several months a year that no one's there. Oh, that's true. So you have like your house is you're getting rent and no one's living in it. Mm. So there's, there's, I gotta be honest, if managed correctly, you might even deal with less problems. I I don't know. We've had them for for decades. And how many bounce checks? Is that even a term anymore? How many lack of rent Mm -hmm. is being paid on student rentals? Very few. Very few. Because the majority is coming from the parents. Okay. The vast majority is coming from the parents. So you're very, very rarely dealing with non-payment. It does happen, but it's very rare. The only issues we've really had with those are um, 
when they leave, uh, like when they're living there too, it can be dirty, like the kitchen. So when you're in there, you're yeah. like, oh. Piles of plates. Yeah, but when once it, so sometimes you're like, oh man, is this, can you like, even, it's like what, what's with this house now? But then once they leave and you get a professional cleaning cl- crew through, you're like, oh. Do you remember that one crew that would come into our houses with knee pads? This crew, they were an amazing group of women that we found that was like a cleaning crew that dealt with the student rental turnovers. So you can book them because there's a day by McMaster where student rentals turn over. They were hardcore. They came in. There was five or six of them. Hard knee pads on. Like they were scrubbing baseboards, throwing garbage out. Like they were amazing. They would just chuck everything. People would come. They're like, hey, I used to wonder. They're like, tough. It's the They would tell them. They're like, you know what? It's it's the first you're out this is all garbage now and i'm like okay uh i I remember her name but i was like and it was weird just be a little bit a little bit nicer a little bit on this (laughs) turnover day sometimes you would have like students who had been in there three years leaving so they got a lot of stuff Mm. but on that same day it's like the people who are getting the house for the next year are asking if they can move in that evening you know instead of the first day of their lease so they're coming in their parents are all happy they're typically year two students Mm. they're thrilled to see this property and you're like hey can you just give us like 12 more hours we got to clean all this stuff out of there oh because if the parents got there early because this would happen and um it's no different than if like an airbnb gets left a mess and, and then someone got there before you know their their kind of time started if they could get in somehow the parents got there early sometimes you know the odd time and they would go through the house and they would just be freaking out We're like don't worry like just chill you know just like tom said Make give us 12 twist. hours yeah. we're good it's all gonna be handled don't worry about it I'll never forget when that one, I remember this kind of just so vividly. We hired property managers because we were finally saying, okay, like we'll have a property manager manage this for us. And the property manager on the turnover day put me on speakerphone with like a group of four or five parents. And one of the moms just started screaming into the phone at me that like, you know, this has to be cleaned and that has to be cleaned. And we're like, hey, listen, we know we're going to take care of everything. Make a list of everything that you need done. And we always go through that list. And you know, so. you know what I started asking? I don't know if I told you this. I started asking them at one point. I'm like, is this the first child you've had in like through university living in a student house? And if they said, yeah, I'm like, okay, that's why you're thinking like this. And then I would explain it because the other ones that were if they were there with other ones that if this is their second or third kid they're just like oh yeah like i'm just i'm used to these properties no problem right Mm. so there you go matt yeah so you student rentals keep it in the back of your mind yeah like hearing those numbers i'm like 1300 bucks that's well and just the amount of students that are pouring into canada is like off the charts yeah right so the we just have a mismatch between i I cannot believe kyle just said this this is slightly interesting partially on topic but slightly interesting <laughs> Kyle just sent the a chart over of the tuition increases I forget how the period of years of um, undergraduate programs undergraduate and both uh, national students and international students oh. and the national student numbers have actually gone down in this chart I, I think it's I think it was five years I don't know but and um and the, the international ones it looked like from the chart I have to pull it up again it went up have, have gone up 15 or 20 percent so, so they're just charging more as they bring in more and more of these international national students. They're also charging more and more. Yeah, it's, it was it was interesting. He just sent it so over. It's a stuff. second path of immigration into the country, and the universities are just profiting. They're profiting like crazy from. Oh yeah, they're milking it. But but I would I would think that they might be having like is the like local domestic students going to school like going up or going down? Because I feel like the generation I was listening to. Um, 
an interview on the way up here and I was saying like the generation coming up, like a large percentage of them, like don't want to like their goal is to become entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like funny how things have changed before you'd never want to be an entrepreneur. No, like no in the, the nineties when you were going to university, everybody wanted to get their MBA mm-hmm. and work on Bay street. Like that was all the rage. Oh, yeah. It was like you, what MBA program are you getting? So to hear, this is just how history kind of goes through cycles yeah. to hear now that students want to become entrepreneurs. Like it makes sense. Well, I want, I want to work in, work in a big tech company. I thought that'd be the coolest thing. Right. So, but th- this chart 35, so in 2018, 19, the average was 35. It looks like about 35,000. Now it's about 40. 45,000. So that's what, four or five years, and it's from 35 to 45. So that's about, uh, what's that third? About a third. Of what? Sorry, you lost me there. The, 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 the average tuition. Oh, God. For an yeah. in, per year. Oh. oh, wow. That's like getting into U.S. numbers. Yeah, it's oh, 45 oh. per year. So it's gone up from 35 in four or four year time period. So I mean, it's, it's and as, as the average national student, if you look at the, um, in Canadian undergraduate, it went from it looks like it's just under ten to it's about state it's about state level as under ten, so they're paying about four times. Can you imagine coming out of more. school uh, just with you know six figures in debt in this world, then throw on interest and then trying to kind of work that off? Is that why Matt, you're into some real estate? I mean, you you like this economic stuff because we talked about it briefly before we started recording. Mm-hmm. So is this in the back of your mind, just kind of outpacing inflation at this point? This is what oh, now currently. Yeah, but now. I was talking about back then. No, no, now. now. I, like, I think like, we already established. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was not yeah. sophisticated back then. It was all just yeah. <laughs> Looks good. Rent is bigger than my expenses. Bye. Yeah. yeah, I think now it's it's um well first off now it's a lot of realization that like oh cash flow is like really you, know, you always heard the saying cash flow is king, but uh it's becoming more and more like prevalent, just like how important cash flow is. Because if you I think like I would imagine a lot of people like some of our properties that we closed on a, a while ago, it's like, well now they're coming the mortgage is coming due again. You know, and you're like, okay, well now I'm gonna be renewing it at triple the interest rate that I had before. So some of those and numbers it is are triple. Like, yeah, it's triple. It's literally triple from like two percent fixed at one point 6%. to now like six. You're just like, okay, well now these these numbers that uh you know like made sense back then, you're like, oh this starting to become tight so just the realization that like cash flow really is i think like the driver and that's probably what led to airbnb because like if done properly you know same with like student rentals Mm. like you can just get more cash flow and i think like nowadays it's like that's that's the most important thing because when you're seeing interest rates go up like that much and you're seeing 20 percent increases in like utilities and property tax and like other things it's like if you're not having something that's like really cash flow positive like it can quickly become a negative soon. And like we have negative properties that we, you know, purchased a while ago that were positive and now they're, they're negative. And you kind of realize like you start to get too many of those and you know, it's, uh, yeah, not a, you need that experience to have perspective like you're having right now. Cause so yeah. many people would over the years have told Nick and I like, Oh, you guys don't know how to make a real money in real estate. Like we're do- doing these pre cons, you know, how many of these pre-construction units are you buying? And we're like, Hey, you might be able to make money on pre-construction condo units in an area like Toronto where the supply and demand really is out of whack. However, if there's an economic downturn of any sort and you get caught holding a property that you can't cash flow on, you might be in a world of hurt really quickly. I'm going through that right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what, and <laughs> yeah, I think, but you need that perspective. You almost need to go through it. And mm-hmm. that's why for years we've talked about this kind of like three bucket strategy, like have cash for deflation and emergencies and kind of to live, have longer term savings and gold and Bitcoin, whatever is your thing. And then have some like cash flow mechanism, whether it's Airbnb arbitrage, student rentals, your own mm-hmm. business. But you kind of need all three of these components working for you. And for years, people dismissed the cash thing. 
Like yeah. we said, have cash. We're like, yeah, like cash, the liquidity is required to survive. Yeah. You can't eat equity. Like you were talking about the cash flow in Florida. Your Windsor property might be, um, or the Barry one might be gaining equity um, really nicely, but you can't eat the equity. Mm-hmm. It's the cash flow that's going to kind of keep you alive. No, it's right. So, I think like uh, like a lot of rookie investors, you kind of like think just about the wealth building side. Like, oh, hit, hit, it's a no brainer. You know, you're just like, but even like to yeah, to your point, like we bought some pre construction condos in Toronto uh, five years ago. We got them for like one of them's a three bedroom townhouse, one of them's a two bedroom, two bath um, penthouse kind of unit. And we bought them, and I mean, like, since we bought them like five years ago, they've probably gone up in value. I don't know, six or seven hundred thousand, which which sounds great, right? Like on paper, you're like, oh wow, like that's you know, that's like a good chunk of change. But now we're at the point where it's like, oh, we have to start looking to close on these because they were delayed three years, right? Oh, so, like by the it. time, like yeah. if they would have closed on time, they would have been great. Oh, we would have yeah, like yeah. locked in a low rate. You would have locked in a low rate. It, it would have been able to like cash flow even in Toronto at those because we're getting them at such a good value. But now you're like, oh, well now that same property that probably would have cash flowed, you know, 500, 600 bucks a month. You're like, well now the interest rates are 6%. You're like, it's pretty hard to find rent that's going to cover all of that. So luckily we're in a position where it's like, oh, we have invested and, you know, created businesses and done all those different things to build that cash flow up where it's like, okay, well we're going to have to close on these. We're going to have to eat it for a bit, but you know, the end goal is to probably just look to flip them, mm-hmm. sell them, mm-hmm. you know, collect our capital that we that we get to keep after we pay the government their unnecessarily large chunk and then, you know, move on and use it for something else. But it's it's just, I think like, like we're saying, there's so many pros and cons with real estate and like, it's just important to be adaptable and sort of realize like, oh, like not every, you're not going to win all the time. So, but no one talks about the losses. I like to talk about like, mm-hmm. you know, well, like yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta realize that like sometimes you're going to lose or you're going to go through a tough time. You're going to eat, eat shit, mm-hmm. you know, for a bit, but it's like, oh, as long as you have a goal and you work hard over the long period, it, it does work out. Mm-hmm. It's all going to work out. You just have to like be able to Survive. get through it. So, yeah. You know, like, and I think you made a good point at uh, the last um, VIP event where you were saying like, Oh, you know, like if you need to sell a property, like there's no shame in that right now. It's like, if you need to sell a property because the cash flow doesn't make sense anymore, it's like, but I think like as a lot of real estate investors, you always think like, I got to hold it. I got to hold it. It always always sucks. You don't want, yeah. We almost get whispers like, Hey Tom, Nick, you know, uh, I might need to sell a property. We're like, no, mm -hmm. that's legit. You're allowed to sell a property. Because once I have the mortgage, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to try to figure out how to get another one. (laughs) If I, if I want to use a mortgage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, but yeah, it, it, it makes sense. But you're, I think it's smart to, to, to speak about it because it's not all rainbows and unicorns. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes things are positioned that way. And I know in my life, whenever things are positioned that way it always scares me off because i'm like i want the i want the truth i want the good and the bad mm-hmm. even if there's a bad side i still might want to proceed with whatever i decide to do i mean i've done a lot of stupid things in my life that the bad side was like far outweighed any benefit from being ridiculous in whatever i decided to do and i decided to do them anyways right and luckily i still have all my limbs and no major injuries you know what i mean but but i mean i still might do whatever it is that I'm, but i just want to be able to make the decision confidently and with with like an accurate representation of what could happen mm-hmm. i think it's important especially now with like social media i mean there's so many like gurus out there and, oh and it's like everyone's everyone just shows like the the money and the mm-hmm. good side of things but it's like important to realize like oh it's not good all the time like there's going to be bad and if you're not really mentally prepared for it or you, you don't accept it like there's going to be an up and there's going to be a down it, it makes it difficult yeah. when those downs happen the people who just thought it was going to be rainbows and sunshine all the time they're going to they're in for a world of hurt whereas other people accept that that will be a reality at some point 
you can at least like stomach it and be like, okay, create a plan. It. You yeah. got to roll with it. What does your family think about you with, with what you've kind of been through in your youth growing up? And now you're at this point where you're talking about multiple properties, you're talking about properties in multiple cities, multiple countries, you know, like are they, you, there has been quite the journey from, I guess, where you were growing up when you were, there was, you know, water being boiled and put into the hot tub, right? Versus hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Hot tub, bath. bath tub. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To versus where you are now, you know, so it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be kind of interesting for you to kind of reflect on that when you say you still think of when you were saying earlier, you still think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my household, um, we're not like big on talking about money still. So I always try to like, enforce it so i've been able to get uh, one of my brothers to invest in like a property with me and you know that's done really well for him um you know but i know like it's it's a huge i definitely when i was growing up i wouldn't have thought i would be where i am today so to actually kind of like be where i am awesome man and like try to inspire other people to like do the same things i think like probably the same for you guys once you achieve like a certain like milestone in life and you've kind of hit a lot of like monetary goals that you had and other things like now you kind of start to be like, well, how can I give back? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's where I'm at now, which is kind of a cool place in life to be like, oh, now it's more about like, well, how can I help other people, inspire other people? You know, you know, like we're saying about the endless wheel of social media, it's like, yeah, but even though it's a lot of work and there's not always like a payoff in the end, it's like, you're still, when you get those messages from someone that who's just like, oh, like I watched your your video and it really like helped inspire me or yeah. made me think about this. It feels like, good. It feels good. Yeah. It feels good. So I'm kind of at that point now where it's like, Oh, just trying to provide value to people and, and hope that they get inspired, um, you know, to like sort of change their way of thinking or, you know, grow their mindset a little bit so they can get out of whatever is holding them back from doing something big. I'm, I'm curious. Do you think you guys will spend more time in the U S once this E one visa goes through? I, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I would think we'd like to spend, um, you know, at least half our time down there. Like I'd like to be down there during the winter months, during the the cold and sort of be up here more for, um, you know, June, July, August, and then over Christmas time. I feel like, although I also assume is like my parents, you know, retire soon and Nicole's parents retire soon. They'll probably be more like wanting to come down there for, for Christmas time. But I do think so. I just see a lot of opportunity in the U S and, and Florida is your state. I like Florida a lot just cause I just see, um, just, because we're focused on the Airbnb side, it just, it works there, you know, like, especially if we're like, we're looking at closing on some stuff in Orlando and it's just, you, you do get year round tourism, like millions of people flowing in there. And it's with Airbnb, just like we've, we've said, it's like, as long as you're willing to put in that extra effort, you know, like don't buy all your furniture from Ikea, don't, you know, cheap out on it and just really try to create a good experience that it's like, I would want to go there. You know, I think that's the thing. A lot of people who get into Airbnb just want to do it for money. But if you're not willing to like, if you wouldn't be willing to stay at your own place, then other people aren't going to spend money to stay at your place. So I think because like, that's what, like what we're looking to do is I'd like to grow more of like an international Airbnb, like company where we have like places in Hawaii and Nashville and Texas and, you know, um, Dubai and and some other places. That's sort of where we're looking to, to go with it. And because we have a social media following, it does allow us the ability to market our product to people as well. So to be like, Hey, if you want to stay in, if you're planning a trip to Disney, like, why don't you stay at our place? That is nice. You can build one, that, that, that attention that you're gathering already on one, in one business, you can definitely leverage for the other business. Right. So that's, that is a nice benefit for sure. Yeah. You're able to market like, Oh, this is our, 
we're able to get away with, you know, to tap into a pool of, you know, a million people who are there to see what we have to say. And, you know, like you show them your properties, you show them like the value that you're bringing and how you put in that effort. It's like, I know we're going to get a lot oh. of bookings just from yeah. people who are like, well, I'm going there anyways. And I would rather stay with like Nicole and, and Matt. Sure. And what's the demographic on, on, on the health and nutrition? I'm guessing it kind of skews probably towards your age group or Nicole's age group and, and female, I guess, is skews that way. Yeah, it's female, like probably like 95% female. Oh, wow. That but one. that's good because they're, they're decision makers. So, that's what they you know, it's like, thinking, oh, yeah. and it's usually like between like 25 and 44 would probably be a larger percentage of it too. So it's also that demographic of people who are traveling and wanting to go places and have a little bit of extra capital. And open to using Airbnb as well. Yeah, because right. they tend to be more tech savvy. Like yeah. people like my parents are less inclined to like use Airbnb. They're still more like booking a hotel and doing it that way. But that demographic, like people are using Airbnb. You guys have an inter- inter- interesting perspective too, because you've been doing the social media stuff for a while and use that to build attention and an audience. Do you see the potential of that continuing to last? So what you've built, are there any kind of, th- I guess, anything to plan for, any threats that you see on the horizon that you guys need to prepare for? Or no, you've earned that loyalty, you have an audience, and whatever Nicole and Matt do, likely the audience will be interested in. Yeah, I think because um, most of the decisions we make with like the brand is is all around like, it's not about the money, but it's about like providing the value and doing so what's right for the term. people. So Nicole is very good at that. Sometimes I get blinded by potentially big, big sponsorship <laughs> offers were like, oh, we're, but she's like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not going to talk about, you know, McDonald's or yeah. someone like that where it's like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if they're going to pay a lot of money, right? It's like, so she's very, very aware of that and has always cultivated it where it's like she's building like her Smart. audience and her yeah. community and like they trust her and rightfully so because like whatever she says is like genuine. So she's very, very good at that. So I don't see any sort of issue that I could see arising, like who knows where, how things will change or what will go on. But like the usage of social media is only going up. The desire for content and for people consuming content is only going up. People are spending more times on their phones on like TikTok. So as long as you're kind of adapting to the new platforms and any changes that might take place with like algorithms and stuff, and you're willing to sort of be flexible and and adapt your content that way, then I, I don't really foresee social media or anything like that disappearing because it's just so ingrained in our lives yeah now. it's not it's a fringe like, thing anymore like there was i think in the past we used to say there was mainstream media and then like all this other stuff whereas i feel like now you and what you guys are doing with health net nutrition you're the mainstream mm-hmm. like you are the source of information for a huge amount of people they're not turning on the tv to get a bunch of information they're going to your videos and so we've kind of flipped the world's kind of changed all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And as I was going to say too, like when was the last time that you watched like TV or movie and you didn't pull out your phone and like do something on social media? I mean, like, I don't know, most, most of the time myself, I'm guilty, but I see it everywhere. It's like, you'll have a movie on, on the TV or like on Netflix and then you're on your phone scrolling through social media or something like that. And that's the norm now. When I need so, to know how to fix something, what's the, the first place I go to is I go to YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, how do I do this? And I'm like, oh, okay, here's how I, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, how many, I don't, can't tell you how many things I've, I've learned how to do. Like, it's like my pool heater thermometer I had to change. I'm like, oh, it's just this little part here for, you know, I just have to go grab it and I kind of screw it in here. I was like, it's all this little random stuff that you would never find elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you realize how easy it is to do certain things too sometimes where it's like you would have paid a, you know, like to change like a air filter in your car, yeah. you would have sort of realized like, oh, to 
pay someone $200 and you realize like, oh, it's, you take this clip out, pull it out and put something yeah. in. And you're like, oh, it's so easy. But unless you see it on like a video or something, you would never think if you had to read a manual, try to figure out how to do it, you probably just pay the person to do it. But if you can go on, you know, YouTube and sort of see how it's done. Oh yeah. You're more inclined to be like, oh, why the heck would I pay someone that much money when it's this easy? You know, so you can kind of see behind the curtain on some different industries that you couldn't it's before. It's shocking to me how the most random things that you need done, like it'll be like a specific dishwasher model and some weird part, and you can go, you can put that on YouTube, and someone will have a video ex like changing that exact part in that exact model. Mm -hmm. wow. Like how is this actually, you know? Like, I had to do that for, the, for a pool pump, and I found the exact yeah. pool pump, some guy in the US somewhere doing the exact thing I needed on the exact yeah. pool pump. So I'm like, to your point about content, is just the amount that's, the, the, the oh. demand for the, the is not going anywhere because there's even if it's there's these little niche ones outside of the, the large kind of like what you guys are doing with kind of just quick, uh, you know, more uh, just a larger audience versus these random little kind of small little things. Right. And they're still getting consumed. Mm -hmm. What happens when AI just makes their videos for them? Think about this, Matt. We just have, you know, someone would listen to this video, take them an hour here at Rockstar. Then they would kind of clip it up and it would take maybe two or three hours of video editing work to do a few clips. There's an AI tool now that our team just discovered that listens to the whole 60 minute podcast video. And in 10 minutes, it's listened to 60 minutes and it responds with clips from the podcast. Wow. You've now taken four hours works and compressed yeah. it down to 10 minutes. Clip, clip. Where are we headed? <laughs> Where are we Eclipse of when the, when the topic changes. Oh yeah. So it, it will listen. It'll identify when topic changes based on expression, uh, voice annotation and the, and the language used and it'll create the clips, put the sub, put okay. the subtitles in, right. It'll put the subtitles in and have them all kind of set. I'm pretty sure in, in a, in a short period of time, we'll have like, um, like AI versions of ourselves. Avatars. Well, yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. be able to like upload all your previous YouTube videos and they'll watch it all and then they'll be able to just create the image of you and you can then go on ChatGPT, get a script written up, upload it to this platform and like they already have ones where it's uh, for marketing pieces. I don't know if you've seen any of those like AI ones where it's like you can put a script in and you got this kind of like, yeah. it looks like a guy yeah. but it doesn't really. Yeah. You're like, he just like, da, da, da. Yeah. you can tell that it's like, not yet. Know, not yeah. yet, but I'm like, soon it's you'll be coming. able to be like, it'll be yourself. Like I was listening to a, podcast about AI and a guy was saying like he'd written a, an ebook right and he's getting it up on audible so what they did is they downloaded all of his like talking on all, all the social media stuff into whatever oh, and platform the book. and now it's like wow. instead of him sitting there reading the book for hours it's like literally just uploaded to AI and then it will like copy his voice like uh, you know what this means your grandchildren are going to be able to ask you questions because yeah. there's going to be a Matt avatar with all the knowledge that Matt had picked up from all the online discussions that AI listened to and your grandchildren are going to be able to ask Matt questions I think that'd be Pretty that's cool. crazy. That's like Star Wars when like yeah. Obi Wan comes back yeah. to talk to Luke. Yeah, yeah, and Matt's just this image. Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! But I mean, like hearing some like podcasts about like um, health and and all that, and like they're saying now that like with the the technology and the medicine and everything we have, like they're convinced that like the average age yeah, of people me, is going to go up to like 120. Okay. I was going like, to say, I'm people, hearing 110 is yeah, now like, like not people alive today are regularly going to live to like 120, and you're just like. 
Holy that's, crap, I'm not on the lap back great. after all, Nick. I'm not on the lap back. Yeah, you know what? You, I got this at least might five. only be the first, like, uh, I'm on the third. first half still. You might be on the first, well, the first third. third. Holy yeah. shit. You need, a, you need a lot of assets <laughs> to live into, like, oh, my oh that's God. a good point. There's too. a big shortage of assets oh for most people if they're going to be real estate in Bitcoin, real estate in Bitcoin. We didn't even get into the Bitcoin stuff. We'll save that. We'll save that for, for uh, next time. But, uh, Matt, so. HealthNet Nutrition on YouTube. If you just Google up HealthNet Nutrition or go to YouTube and then Matthew Varga. Yeah, just my your, name. For your name and because you're going to be putting out real estate stuff. You have real estate stuff on that YouTube channel and you're going yeah. to continue to be doing it, correct? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of, like a lot of my content's more around like Airbnb. So, and then a series that I'm kind of creating now is I'm actually going to like unique Airbnbs. Like tomorrow I'm going to a shipping container, Airbnb that's oh, sort awesome. of in like Northern Ontario to like do a tour of it and like break down the financials to try to show people like, oh, here's different ways. Like uh, I have one that I'm going to go to, I think next month, since like a tree house, right? So it's sort of like looking at like, oh, there's all these unique ways that people are doing things. And with Airbnb, like they love unique stays. So that's sort of like sure. where you're starting to see things evolve to. So I wanted to kind of start to like show people like unique stays and like, A, we're going to do some videos on it that are just more like the, for the massive public where it's like, oh, it's just beautiful showcasing how nice this is. But then we're also going to break down the financials where people want, actually want to know how to do some of that stuff. Or they might be like, oh, I want to do a shipping container home or a boathouse or anything like unique to just show people different ways they can make money and inspire people on that. And, you know, I think the beauty with Airbnb as well is like there's so many different revenue streams that you can derive from it with a little creativity. So like we're adding vehicles to our to our Airbnbs where like we'll tour the vehicle for people who are coming oh, wow. to stay with us where it's like, okay, like most people are flying into Florida, like they're flying in there and they need a vehicle to rent. So it's like, well, we'll offer you a vehicle at a cheaper price than what the rental place is. And now we're double dipping on, uh, on another revenue stream for our Airbnbs. So you can get pretty creative. Where's Mac going to head? He's going to have everything kind of figured out here. Well, you know, it's going to be international Airbnb International expansion. You just need the plane flights, too, to fly people to your Airbnb. That's why you put all the expenses on your credit cards and you use points. Yeah. It's like the Raptor season pass. He's just going to get one of those, you know, where you can buy time on private jets and he's going to resell that that time out. He's going to arbitrage private jets next. Holy shit. You can arbitrage a lot. That's the thing. I'm smiling. Like, like, yeah, I'm totally doing this. Yeah. We're, I have people asking like, oh, do you have connections with boats? You know, like, so I'm like, oh, that's the next one. Like get get a boat and be able to rent it out to people. Like we've got sea-doos that we're, we ordered that we're going to, you know, offer to, you know, like people in cottages for Airbnb. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do with creativity. So I'm going to try to hopefully showcase that to people and just, you know, see what's out there and, you know. Uh, I like the idea of like life hacking, you know, where you get other people to kind of pay for like the toys that you want and, you know, experiences that you want. So it's sort of like just showing people in real life how it's possible instead of just like theory and talking about it. So Matt, feel yeah, honored to pass uh, cross paths with you, man. Yeah. Fun to watch. I guess the last few years have been a blast to see you guys get to this point. The next 10 years seems like it's going to be amazing. Now you have a foundation you're building on. So yeah, it should be fun. It's like once you get past that first like few years of the investing and when it's like really tough and you're like you said, over leveraged, like we were so over leveraged that you're like, now you look back and like, what was I thinking? But you're like, when you get over that. What was I doing? I'm so lucky I made it. But like, you know, just get through it, you know, like keep focus, keep your goal. And then like, once you get kind of like over that hump it's it's amazing how things kind of like open up and then you just like oh wow like sky's the limit you know matt thank you for doing this man appreciate you stopping by thank you so much no problem thanks guys 
Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Matt. I really appreciate that real estate is adaptable and malleable, malleable, can I say it properly? Malleable in a way that many different investments aren't. And what I mean by that is exactly what we discussed today. You can take one property and you can use it as our straight rental. You could take the same property and perhaps do Airbnb short-term rentals on it. You can take the same property and do mid-term Airbnb rentals, or you can use a property that perhaps you don't own yourself, like Matt's describing here, negotiate with the landlord the right to put it on Airbnb and do an Airbnb arbitrage strategy on it. So real estate presents a lot of interesting opportunities. And if you want to dive down this rabbit hole a little further, you probably want to check out the real estate investing blueprint book that we put together that outlines a bunch of different real estate investing strategies. And you can get a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.